Help me finish the sentence. You cannot be any happier than your least happy child. You cannot be any happier than your least happy child. That is to say that we love our children so much that our emotional welfare is connected organically, intuitively, to their emotional welfare. And that's why if they're suffering, it's very hard for us to feel like we are thriving. And it's that basic rule that our emotional welfare is connected to their emotional welfare that explains why there is such a thing as a helicopter parent. So I did some research and want to share with you the dictionary definition of a helicopter parent. A helicopter parent is a parent who pays extremely close attention to a child's experiences and problems, particularly at educational institutions, particularly at synagogues. I'm just interpolating that. Helicopter parents are so named because like helicopters, they hover overhead, overseeing every aspect of their child's life constantly. Now, helicopter parenting is just real. <clears throat> it's real in society and it's real here. I've had college professors, more than a few, tell me that they have received calls from parents of their children their children being college students who are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And the parents will say, you know, Professor, do you know who we are? We're not really happy with our son, our daughter's grade. Might you consider regrading that essay? That's a helicopter parent. I've had lawyers tell me, more than one, that they are partners at a big law firm, and they will get calls from parents of associates. That is to say, associates who are in their mid-20s, late-20s, saying, you know, our son, our daughter is working so many hours, and the environment is not caring enough. The recent college admission scandal is only the most florid example of helicopter parenting gone amok. And we know where helicopter parenting leads. It leads not to mix a metaphor. It le helicopters lead to teacups. Teacup children who are fragile, who have not learned the ability to fall down and get up and move on on their own. Helicopter parenting deprives our children of the ability to learn and deepen their resilience. So how do we not do that? How do we not be helicopter parents? And if we are helicopter parents, how can we stop being helicopter parents? So I was reading an article by a woman named Melinda Carlson, and she the thesis of it is 
I am a helicopter parent, and I know that I am, and I want to stop being a helicopter parent. Why am I a helicopter parent? Why can't I stop? And it's a very empathetic article because she locates the origin of this unhelpful behavior in a very real and human place. She quotes Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. And Atticus Finch says to his son, I would like to protect you from the bad things that happen in the world, but I just can't. And I think helicopter parenting flows from this terrible asymmetry about parents. And if you're a parent, and if you are a grandparent, you get this asymmetry deep in your kishka, and it's simply this, it's simply this. We care so much, and we control so little. We care infinitely. There's nothing more that we care about than the welfare of our children and grandchildren. And often we control nothing. We can't control what their third grade teacher says or does, let alone their college professor, let alone their boss. We cannot control what their friends say or do. We cannot control if somebody hurts them. We cannot control their health, whether they're healthy and thriving or struggling with medical challenges. We cannot control whether they have mazel, whether they find the love of their life early and build a life, or are always looking with great frustration and loneliness. We cannot control whether they found their purpose in life. They know what they want to do for a living and are doing it, or are forever meandering and moving from job to job and from city to city in search of themselves. We cannot control whether they take their Judaism seriously. In other words, parenthood and grandparenthood is an ongoing graduate seminar in humility. How do we deal with the fact that we care so much and control so little? So there's a set of parents named Coyote and Olu Adewumi, who care so much and control so little. They could not control the fact that <clears throat> they are Christians in Nigeria, raising two sons, subject to terrorism at the hands of Boko Haram. They could not control that to escape with their life, to assure their lives against the Boko Haram, they had to seek asylum, and they came to America legally seeking asylum. They could not control that to do that. They had to begin again, and they literally did not have two pennies to rub together, and they were literally living in a homeless shelter. They could not control that they had to completely retrain to make ends meet. The mother, Olu, retrained as a home health care aide. The father took two jobs, including renting a car, which he would drive as an Uber driver to try to make ends meet. There was so much the Coyote and Olu Adewumi could not control, but here's what they could control. What they could control is what they did about it. They lived in a homeless shelter, but they created a warm and loving home 
in that homeless shelter, and their home was filled with love and with faith. They went to church every weekend and with the belief that their kids could learn and grow and become who they were meant to be. Now, the story of their parenting has become a national story because against all odds, literally against all odds, and against much better financed, much better resource competition, their eight-year-old son, Tani, Tani Adewumi, recently won at the age of eight the New York State Chess Championship. And Nicholas Kristof of the Times wrote a piece about it, and he offers this poignant vignette of an eight-year-old lugging around a trophy, the state chess championship trophy, that is actually as big as he is. And he takes it to his homeless shelter. And Christoph wrote something in his column that I've just been marinating on, which is that in many ways, Coyote and Olu are the antidote to helicopter parenting. And I've been thinking about that at a deep level. And I think they offer us kind of two spiritual challenges. First, can we give our kids space, the space to discover who they want to be? So they're an antidote to helicopter parenting because they gave Tani space. This whole chess thing was his. He discovered it on his own. They were not in the office of the chess club telling the chess club guy, hey, will you take my kid? Or writing emails, please take my kid. And they didn't pester him. They didn't say, did you do your chess lessons? Did you practice chess? Rather, he said, I want to do chess. And they said, OK, we'll help. <clears throat> and they drove him to tournaments. They made their laptop available so he could compete and deepen his skills. But his chess was about him, not them. That's the first question. Can we give our kids space to be who they want to be, not who we want them to be? And here's the second thing, and it's just so important. Can we give our kids in a helicopter parent infected culture? Can we give our kids really good values that cut against the grain of the culture? Space and really good values. So as a result of Christoph's column, there was this outpouring of love and generosity Tatani Adewumi, this eight-year-old chess champion. And it's easy to imagine how helicopter parents would have responded very differently than the way his actual parents responded. For example, he right away got all these offers from, these are the words, elite private schools for an education. It's elite, it's private, and it's free. And you can imagine a helicopter parenting saying, great, which one has the best odds of getting my kid into Harvard? I want just the best, the best resources, the best ratio, the best this, the best that for my kid. The parents said, no, no elite, no fancy private schools. We're going to send him to PS116, which is the public school that he went to. We're grateful for the education and that he, exposed, he was exposed to chess at PS116. And in fact, when we didn't have $35 for the chess club, they waived the chess club fee. He stays in public school. And then they were homeless. And as a result of this whole story breaking, the family got a number of options. Here you can live in our house for free. And some of these houses 
were described as palatial. And it must have been very tempting. You're living in a homeless shelter and you can catapult to a palace. And they said no to the palaces and they said yes to a simple, humble, two-bedroom apartment that was a few blocks from the public school. And then the third thing they did that was a values decision, right away a GoFundMe page was raised and $200,000 came in for Tani and for his family. And you can imagine a helicopter parenting figuring out this much will be for tutors and this much will be for some special experience. We'll send him to Thailand and he can save the elephants and write about it in his college application. <laughs> this stuff happens. No species is more protected than elephants in Thailand <laughs> because of our kids. But they don't do that. They don't spend a penny on Tani. They tithe 10% to their church, and the rest they devote to helping other African immigrants to America who are struggling. Values. So, just want to stand back here. Tani's chess is a gift from God. He was born a prodigy. God gave him that. But Tani's growing moral compass is a gift from his parents because, and here's the main point, and don't miss this, don't miss this. Menches are made, not born. Chess prodigies are born, not made. Menches are made, not born. And menches are made by parents who have good values. Now, it's true that most of our kids are not like Tani. Tani was a prodigy. Most of our kids are not prodigies. Tani knew at the age of eight that he has this superpower. Most of our kids don't discover that if they have a superpower at all. So here's my question. What if our kid is ordinary, not exceptional, not a prodigy? What if our kid is wandering and aimless and not focused? What if our kid is struggling and not thriving? Uh, what do we do then? And that is when we most need parenting that is values-based. That is when we most need parenting that is the opposite of helicopter parenting. That is when we most need Jewish wisdom. The Talmud in the tractate Kedushin says the parents should give their kids various things, should teach them Torah, should give them a good home and hearth, should give them a craft so they can earn a living. That's all important. But the single most important thing, according to the Talmud, that a parent can give a child is to teach their child how to swim. And that is meant, I think, literally, teach a child how to swim. And if you go to the JCC pool, you will see that verse from the Talmud, teach a child how to swim. But I also think it's meant metaphorically, in addition to literally, how do we teach our child who is struggling, who is not thriving? How do we teach our child who is ordinary, not exceptional? How do we teach our child who is struggling to find their way, they're not focused, to swim in life? How, in short, do we teach our kids how to be resilient? How do we teach our kids how to fall down and get up? How do we teach our kids? There's a thousand and one varieties of headache and heartache and heartbreak and running into walls. How do we teach our kids how they can 
figure this out on their own? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, by the way. And there is no one right answer to that question, by the way. But I know this. I know what the wrong answer is. The wrong answer is the parent figuring it out. The wrong answer is the parent hovering and swooping down to save the day. The wrong answer is the parent throwing their weight around. The wrong answer is the parent sending an angry email. The parent picking up the call and saying, do you know who I am? The parent trying to solve the kid's problem. That is bad. That's the wrong answer. Because it's going to deprive their adult child of learning how to figure it out on their own. Now, here's the deal. Resilience is really hard. Resilience takes work. It's not easy to be resilient. But that's why this place is so important. This place is all about teaching and inculcating resilience. How do we learn how to swim against the tides in life? How do we do that? How do we learn resilience so we can teach our kids? So here's my prayer. My prayer is simply this. May what we do right here, right now, the praying, the singing, the learning, the coming together in mitzvah, celebrating Shabbat, celebrating Pesach, may that enable us, parents and grandparents, to tap into our own resilience. It takes work. It's a work in progress. May we tap into our own resilience, and then may we transmit it to our kids and our grandkids so that they become not teacups, and we become not helicopters, but all of us become what we need to become, better swimmers. Shabbat Shalom.